Welcome to Mammoth Community Christian Church. It's great that you're able to join us today in person or online. Well, today it's, it's my privilege to welcome once again Pastor Milton Ang. He really needs no introduction. He's been a pastor for many years. He's a professor, uh, a scholar of God's Word. Welcome once again, Pastor Milton. Thank you, Pastor Nathan, uh, Nathan and thank you uh, for the leadership here at uh, Monmouth uh, Christian Church for uh, having me back to share God's Word with you once again. It's really funny, I used to complain about driving to, to one guest speaking and engagement and another, but uh, after the pandemic, I'm actually happy to do that. This is only my third time guest speaking in person at a different church, and I'm so happy to be out and about on the Sunday morning and driving into be with you folks in person, and uh, welcome to those of you who are watching online. I hope that you'll be coming back to church soon as uh, things are beginning to open and reopen. There's nothing really like fellowshipping in person, flesh-to-flesh, uh, face-to-face, um, than uh, doing it online. Well, if you remember, last time I was here was the first Sunday of January, and I shared uh, the first message in a series of messages I've been developing since last year on the Ten Commandments. If you recall, um, last time I shared uh, basically two points about uh, these ten important instructions in the Old Testament, and that is um, the relevance of the Ten Commandments and the right understanding of the Ten Commandments. And if you recall, although it's been greatly, vastly neglected in many decades, the Ten Commandments is still relevant for the church today. And then secondly, however, it's important as we study the Ten Commandments to have the right and proper understanding of them. The Ten Commandments are not meant for Israel to get saved. They were already saved, you know, out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. The Ten Commandments was intended for their sanctification, for their growth. And likewise, God would speak to us today through his word, through these uh, Ten Commandments to instruct us not how we might be saved, but how we might be sanctified and live as God's people in this 21st century. So in today's message, I'd like to uh, share a second message, but we will focus on the first commandment of the Ten Commandments, and that is this uh, commandment to have no other gods. So on that note, let me begin by reading our scripture today is Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, establishing that we should set aside one day in seven, this first day of the week, to worship and to learn and to grow in Christ. We pray you be with each and every one of us, whether in person or watching online, that your word might go forth and prompt us to greater devotion and dedication to you. Lord, we pray that the words of scripture 
back in ancient and olden times may speak to us here in uh, the 21st century and in our particular difficult circumstances. Lord, we dedicate and devote this entire time to you, the Lord our God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in today's message, kind of like last uh, time, I want to really share two main topics or two main points as we explore uh, this first commandment. And the first is the numbering of the Ten Commandments, the numbering of the Ten Commandments, and then secondly, the number one commandment of the Ten Commandments. Now, you might think when it comes to a uh, passage of scripture that is uh, so um, kind of well-known, at least in olden times, and a set of laws that are actually in, you know, inscribed on um, monuments throughout the country in front of courthouses and things of that sort, that we would all agree on the numbering of the Ten Commandments. But one of the biggest surprises I discovered in studying this passage is that not all Christians and not all traditions agree on which commandments are number one, number two, and number three. You might even be shocked that in various traditions, the numbering of each of the different commandments is different. One of the reasons is that because the, the Bible gives us some information, but it doesn't give us uh, a lot of details. All the Bible tells us that we know for sure is that there are 10. And probably it's meant to be memorized, 10 short uh, laws or instructions that were meant to be memorized. So the Bible only tells us that there are 10. It doesn't tell us you know, which 10. And also that they were inscribed on two tablets of stone. Here's Deuteronomy 4.13. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. Now, um, in this passage and in other passages, the, the phrase the Ten Commandments is actually not a literal translation of the original Hebrew. The original Hebrew, and if you have the ESV or maybe one other translation, if you're looking, there's a footnote uh, after commandments, and if you look at the footnote, it will say on the bottom of the page, Hebrew, 10 words, or the 10 words. So in the original language, um, the uh, literal expression is, he declared to you his covenant, the 10 words. So we know that there are 10, uh, but it's really, um, you know, literally the 10 words. That's why, by the way, scholars often refer to the Ten Commandments as the Decalogue, the Decalogue. And then, so in today's message and future messages, I might vary things up between the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, or the Decalogue, which means in Greek simply deca, ten, and logos, words. So these are the Ten Words. But getting back to the issue of the numbering of the Ten Commandments, here is how they are numbered in different traditions. And since we are beginning today's message with the uh, first word or first commandment, I, I thought uh, it might be good to get this out of the way in case 
maybe you grew up in the Catholic Church and you say, well, I don't, I don't think, you know, we learned it differently. Or maybe you grew up in another tradition, a Lutheran church. Oh, you know, the numbering in my tradition is different. Well, here's what we have in the um, Jewish tradition, uh, verse uh, 2, you shall have no other gods. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, verse 2 is, um, I'm sorry, verse 2, I am the Lord your God, is actually considered the first word or the first commandment. And then uh, verses 2 and, I'm sorry, 3 and 4, you shall have no other gods and no graven images is considered the second commandment, um, you know, put together. Now, in the Protestant tradition, which we will follow here and in the future messages, the um, verse 2 is actually considered an introduction and a prologue. It's not considered actually one of the Ten Commandments proper. And verse, uh, verse 2, which we will deal with today, is considered the first commandment, the first word. And then um, no graven images in verse 4 is considered um, the second commandment. Now, to confuse you even more, if you grew up in the Catholic tradition uh, or the Lutheran tradition, uh, these statements, verses 2, verses 3, verses 4, they're all considered actually the first word or the first commandment. So, you know, there you have it. Now, the interesting thing is in studying this numbering or division, there are actually uh, very legitimate reasons for um, maybe lumping all of these three verses into one commandment or arranging it differently. And to be honest with you, you know, sometimes I feel like going the Jewish way or sometimes I feel like going you know, the Protestant way, not so much the Catholic way, but um, there are really legitimate reasons for numbering them differently and um, I think this just reminds us of, a, of another issue I want to bring up, kind of as an aside or as a sidebar, and that is that the Ten Commandments have this strange and unusual character, and I think that's why it makes it um, a little bit difficult to preach on, and that is, on the one hand, they seem to have this absolute, eternal, profound, and weighty um, dimension to him. They, they, on the one hand, the Ten Commandments seem so absolute, you know, thou shalt not murder, you know, what could be relative about that, you know, thou shalt not steal. They have this eternal um, imperative that uh, is unchanging. But when you study it, uh, you study it more closely, as you see with the, you know, different numberings, which are all legitimate, there's also kind of like a, a relative side to it, a side that does change and that is different. So on the one side it's absolute, on the other side it seems a little bit more relative and you might say flexible and that's something that we have to keep in mind and again makes it so difficult for a pastor to, to preach on this passage and so hopefully you know Pastor Nathan and your other folks this will be a gift to you. You don't have to do all the hard work of figuring this out. I'm kind of doing it for you. So what is the um, kind of the, the, the absolute side of it? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons. Scholars say that this is the only set of commandments that are given twice in the Bible, uh, almost word for word, you know, kind of like if you look at uh, the first verses of Exodus 20 and then the first verses of Deut Deuteronomy 5, 
it's uh, almost verbatim, word for word, even in the Hebrew, the same exact set of commandments. Now, this reminds me of the New Testament. Actually, in the New Testament, there's not uh, so much commandments, but if you remember, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes is um, another set of instructions that are given twice, almost word for word, in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. And I can't help but think that you know, Jesus is kind of like paralleling Moses in the Old Testament. Another reason is that this is the only time God spoke directly face-to-face -to, -face, to the people of God. Thirdly, these are the only instructions written by the very finger of God on stone. So again, you begin to feel how um, how important, I guess that's what it is, how is important um, these words are. And then uh, they, these words were so important, they were written on tablets of stone and deposited in the Ark of the Covenant. So every time the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies, looks at the Ark, and the people are reminded that, you know, enclosed um, and, and captured in this divine Ark are the ten words. Now, on the other hand, there are elements of the Ten Commandments that seem to be a little bit more flexible, a little bit more relative. One of the things you might find shocking is that in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, the record of the Ten Commandments is uh, almost word for word the same, but there are significant differences. And so that shows that something happened between Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 when Moses is giving his, uh, one of his last sermons before the, the people of God enter the promised land. In particular, it's the, uh, the fourth commandment to rem remember the Sabbath. In Exodus um, chapter 20, the reason given, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, is in verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and he rested on the seventh day. Now, if you turn to Deuteronomy, the reason given for the fourth commandment is completely different. It's not just a, a change of spelling or words, it's completely different. Let me turn there. Deuteronomy 5, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. And then you kind of jump to verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand. So in, in Exodus, the reason given is creation. And in Deuteronomy 5, the reason given is redemption. So, um, you know, you would think that these 10 words are, quote unquote, set in stone, but something happened where the 10 commandments can be adapted and can be adjusted, can be updated to a different context. And the reason the context in Deuteronomy is different and therefore it seems to have been uh, adapted and updated, uh, revised, you might say. Here's another interesting difference. Today, believers, as believers today, we don't, uh, technically honor the Sabbath literally. You know, when the fourth commandment says honor, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, the Sabbath day is actually Saturday, the seventh day of the week. And um, so even, you know, as believers, as important as these 10 words are, 
Uh, every Christian church today, except the Seventh-day Adventist church, uh, you know, doesn't strictly follow the fourth commandment. We worship the Lord on the first day of week, Sunday. So something, you know, something shifted, something changed. And believe it or not, here's another surprise. The fourth commandment is the only one of the Ten Commandments that is not repeated in the New Testament. All the others are repeated in some way, shape, and form, but for some reason, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day, is not repeated. So that's uh, another indication, oh, what's going on here? And then, of course, I just repeat what I began with on the sidebar, that the fact that just the numbering is different in various traditions kind of like implies that um, there is some interpretation involved in how you apply these uh, Ten Commandments. So, okay, so um, just uh, kind of, this is a, a little bit of a uh, introduction and preparation uh, before we actually get to an exposition of the number one commandment, the number one commandment. Okay, and it's uh, very short in... Uh, our passage today is basically just, as it says there on the screen, uh, verse, verse three, verse three, and you know, hopefully by the end of these series of message, you would have memorized the Ten Commandments. You know, one, two, three, four. That's a little Sunday school exercise. Well, anyway, um, when I first became a Christian, and in olden days, you know, years back. The usual understanding of the first commandment, what is the point of the first commandment? What is it teaching? What does God want us to know? Was that this first commandment was teaching the world and the people that there exists one and only one God. And that is, uh, it was teaching the doctrine or the teaching of monotheism, monotheism. So I begin with this kind of what it is you know, not or possibly teaching uh, to what it is. And is this um, first word teaching monotheism, you, you know, um, you shall have no other gods before me. So I used to think that, well, the point of the first commandment is that, um, that there was one and only one God that exists in the universe. There are no other gods, you know, not, not like like in the ancient world and the things like that. And, and of course we assume, of course we already know that the Bible is monotheistic, uh, one of the three great monotheistic religions, and so um, uh, we kind of assume that that's what it's teaching. But in reality, if once again, if you look closer to uh, verse, verse three in its context, you will see that, well, Maybe we need to be a little bit more precise and nuanced about this. And if you, uh, if you look at uh, these verses in context, you look at the, 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 the verse before verse 3 is verse 2, and it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. So before you even get to uh, verse uh, three, the first commandment, you have this context, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. So what is the historical, uh, what is the theological, what is the literary context of the first commandment? And the, and the, the context is Egypt. 
the context that is Egypt. And you know, uh, ancient Egypt was um, a, a, a land, a country that had um, probably the most um, polytheistic religion of the time or ever. According to uh, one, uh, you know, uh, worldhistory.org, uh, the Egyptians had over 2,000 gods. Can you believe that? You know, I thought maybe it was a dozen, but the Egyptians had over 2,000 deities that they worshipped. And so here is ancient Israel coming out of this polytheistic Egyptian context and background. I teach world history from time to time, so I like to throw in a little world history, and here is just a sample what is this, 10 of the major gods of ancient Egypt, uh, the first one being among the most famous Isis, a popular deity in ancient Rome, the goddess of fertility, childbirth, and women. And then uh, the second one is the god Osiris, the god of the dead. You can recognize him because his skin is green. You know, that's how they know he's dead. The skin is green if you ever go to Egypt on tour. And um, then the third one with the sun disc over uh, his head is the, the god Ra or the god Ray, which is the god of the sun. And so um, when you look at this, um, the context of the first commandment, we are talking about uh, a word that is coming out of this tremendously polytheistic ancient Egyptian religion and context. Now also, if you uh, look carefully at um, the, the verse, uh, verse two, once again, the context, it says, uh, I am the Lord your God. You'll notice that in the Old Testament, the word Lord, when you see the word Lord in all caps, so all uppercase letters, that is the translator's way of referring reverentially reverentially to uh, the ancient Hebrew divine name for God. This is the, the personal divine name for God known as Yahweh. Out of, out of respect for Jewish tradition, they don't print Yahweh. Actually, there's one translation that does say, I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. But usually when you see the word Lord in all caps, you have to focus on that and think back that it's referring to this personal divine name of the God of Israel, which is Yahweh. And so you have, you know, you have the personal God of Israel, Yahweh, versus the many gods of ancient Egypt. And that helps uh, explain and bring out the point that this commandment is not so much teaching um, monotheism as it's teaching um, something else, something different. Also, uh, the Israelites had many problems, had, the Israelites had many problems worshiping other gods. Here is um, a passage, uh, let's see, Joshua 24, um, let's see. Now, unfortunately, I didn't print out these uh, verses in my uh, sermon outline, so I have to, and I can't see it from this far. Maybe, maybe, why don't I just turn my head? Okay, that might be easier. Okay, why don't I just, 
So Joshua 24, 14, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, worship beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Again, serve Yahweh. First Kings eighteen twenty one. Elijah went before the Lord, uh, before the people, and said, "How long will you waver between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him." But the people said nothing. Now, um, and just in case you're getting a little nervous, well, then wait a minute, I thought the Bible taught there's one and only one God. How can you talk about polytheism and all of this? The, 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 does, does Exodus teach polytheism? No, no, this is the context out of which ancient Israel is coming. Later on in the Old Testament, monotheism becomes uh, clearer as uh, God's revelation um, develops. These are all from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 43.10, before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me there is no God. I am Yahweh and there is no other. Apart from me there is no God. Okay, so um, the first thing to get off the table and to clarify is that this uh, first commandment, this number one commandment, is not teaching simply a, a belief that we as believers must adhere to monotheism, um, but it's teaching something else. Then what does it mean if it's not teaching monotheism? Well, scholars will say that this uh, first commandment is teaching what they call exclusive worship. That's a term they use. Oops, I think I went forward a little bit too fast. Okay, exclusive worship. And that is the idea that it's not teaching that, you know, there are no other gods. And notice it doesn't say, you know, um, uh, you shall, that there are no other gods. It says that you shall have no other gods before me. It's, it's saying not so much that there are no other gods, but that among the gods, Israel must be faithful and must devoted and must be loyal to the one God, Yahweh. It's not so much a uh, monotheistic worship as it is an exclusive worship that among all the choices available out there, and remember they came out of a culture that was very polytheistic, it's easy to be tempted to worship you know, the God of the sun or the God of the dead or the God of childbirth. But um, these instructions said, no, no, for you, Israel, there is but one God over all the other deities. Let's see. Oops. Okay, I think I might need help, but the, uh, the clicker doesn't seem to be um, advanced. Oh, okay, all right, I guess. Okay, all right, there we go. So um, this is what we refer to as henotheism. Henotheism, not monotheism. Henu, 
according to the Oxford Dictionary, henotheism is adherence to one particular God out of several, especially by a family, tribe, or other group. So it's not so much denying that other gods exist, but it is imposing on God's people uh, a devotion and commitment, a devotion and commitment to one God, a commitment to one God only above, above all others. The New Living Translation, NLT, um, brings this out even more, which is very good. It says there, you must not have any other God but me. So the, the idea here is that um, we ought to be uh, committed to the one God and the one God among the other gods or temptations that, might be, that may be out there in the world. I, I just came across a, uh, a wonderful book. It's more of a devotion or reflection on the Ten Commandments by Jen Wilkin. It's called Ten Words to Live By, and she doesn't call it commandments, but Ten Words to Live By. And she has a very um, a nice reflection on this first word. And she frames um, the first commandment as imposing upon us an undivided an undivided allegiance to the one God. Let me read to you a quote from here. The children of Yahweh today are not so different from the children of Yahweh then. Like Israel, we affirm that there are no other gods verbally and intellectually, but not practically. Practically, we live as polytheists. Our idolatry is a both and arrangement. I need God and I need a spouse. I need God and I need a smaller waist size. I need God and I need good health. I need God and I need a well-padded bank account. Okay, so um, a, 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 another way of uh, putting this and framing this is simply to say, um, this first word is a commitment to putting God first. It's a commitment to putting God first. This is no different than in the New Testament. Jesus also teaches that we should put God first in our lives with an undivided allegiance. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then again in Matthew 22, 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. By the way, I forgot to mention when you line up these Ten Commandments in this list, it's listed in the order of priority. So the first commandment is the first and the most important, and uh, it goes down in terms of uh, priority. So I guess it makes sense that when it comes to what God would want for us, oh, what is God's will for us? We're always asking that question. It makes sense that the first and most important principle of of God for his people is that we might be 
totally devoted to him, that we might have undivided allegiance. It doesn't mean we are perfect. It doesn't mean that you know, the moment we accept Christ, you know, we're 100% sold out for God. But at least we have this allegiance. I like the way she put it. It's kind of like, you know, when you're in school, I pledge allegiance to the flag and to the United States of America. Uh, the first principle and commitment here as a believer, the fact that you are here on Sunday or you are watching online is already your pledge of allegiance. I pledge allegiance to God. I pledge allegiance to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and that is why I am here today and worshiping him. There's a uh, wonderful commentary that I've been using uh, by the scholar named David L. Baker. The title of his book is The Decalogue, Living as the People of God. And he has this wonderful um, explanation on page 48. I think I would like to just wrap up by uh, quoting and sharing this quotation to flesh out what this first word means. Faith in one God who alone is worthy of worship is at the heart of the first commandment. However, the commandment is not primarily an affirmation of monotheism. It is a call to make choices and set priorities, to put the one God before all other rivals for one's loyalty and devotion, whether spiritual or material, true or false. Faith is not just a matter of reciting a creed, signing a doctrinal statement of affirming belief in the one God, no, nor is worship limited to singing hymns, reading liturgies, preaching sermons, and celebrating sacraments. These may be requirements for participation in the faith community and doubtless, doubtless serve to foster faith and deepen devotion. But the first commandment goes deeper than any of them, challenging hearers to decide what is really most important in their lives. And so there you have it. As I mentioned in my first uh, message that the Ten Commandments should really be referred to as the Ten Commitments. And so with this uh, number one commandment, this first commandment, what it really reminds us is the principle is a commitment to one God only, a commitment to putting God first. And I hope that as we uh, think about that, reflect upon that, maybe even memorize those words, you shall have no other gods before me. That will be the kind of the compass to set everything in order as we move on and explore the remaining Ten Commandments. So next time we'll look at uh, the second word, no graven images, the second commandment, and I uh, look forward to um, exploring that with you uh, in August. I'm scheduled to speak last Sunday of August, and. Um, Look forward to bringing that uh, to you. Let us go ahead and close in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder of the first word, that we ought to make a commitment to pledge our allegiance to the one and only God. And that God, as reflected in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, we pledge here and now our total and faith devotion to him. Not that we are perfect, not that we are even 100% devoted, but at least in principle, 
that is the direction and focus of our lives. We pray, Lord, that you give us strength and wisdom to give over more and more of our lives, whether it's our health, whether it's our wealth, whether it's our time, whether it's um, any other idol or any other temptation that might rival uh, the one true God in our lives. We pray in his most glorious name, Jesus Christ, amen.